Good day. Welcome to another episode of the Audible Local Ledger Reads to the Blind podcast. You can get more information at audiblelocalledger.org. Stay tuned for today's reading. Hi, my name's Eric. I'll be reading you selections from the e-edition of today's Cape Cod Times. Today's date is Monday, February 5th of 2024. We'll start with the weather. Across the Cape and Islands today, sunshine with winds gusting past 45 miles an hour. Tonight, increasing cloudiness, a low of 31 expected. Tomorrow, on Tuesday, a rain and snow shower possible. It'll be breezy, high of 35, low of 31 in the overnight. On Wednesday, we'll have low clouds all day, high of 37, low of 30. On Thursday, sunshine and patchy clouds, high of 42, a low of 30 expected. And on Friday, sunshine and patchy clouds again, same thing, high of 43, a low of 36. So we have a dry week probably ahead, maybe tomorrow, a little bit of rain. Sunrise today was at 6.50 a.m. It will set at 5.01 p.m. We'll have 10 hours and 11 minutes of daylight. The moonrise will be at 3.18 a.m., set at 12 p.m. We'll move to the front of the paper, where the lottery results and the news is kept. And we read the lottery results because somebody asked for them. If there's something you would like read to the blind or those who have low vision, you can email us at info at audiblelocalledger.org or call us at 508-539-2030 and we'll consider reading it. And if you miss any of the information that we share in our readings, you can always go to audiblelocalledger.org and in the upper right corner is the archived readings tab. Click on that. You'll find a week's worth of our newspaper readings that you can catch up on. And if you go over to the literature tab, literary readings, you will find a wide variety of periodicals and great classic works read for you. And all of that is free for the blind and the print disabled at audiblelocalledger.org and our pull-down tabs. Now, we go to the Mass Department of the lottery, or the masslottery.com, to be able to give you the latest results of the um, drawings. And if you ask for them, you certainly deserve the latest results. So with the numbers game results for Sunday, February 4th of 2024, in the midday, those results were 7936. Again, yesterday's numbers game in the midday drawing 7936. The evening drawing for Sunday, February 4th, 6960. Again, 6960. Mass cash numbers for Sunday, February 4th, 3, 8, 17, 19, and 31. And lucky for life numbers for Sunday, February 4th, 10, 16, 27. 33, and 44, with 13 the bonus number. Good luck to all who play. Remember us if you win. Heading to the cover of the Cape Cod Times. Today, the headline above the fold, if there was such a thing in a digital newspaper, reads, Pain and Suffering, Scientists Seek Clues in Vineyard Whale's Death, by Heather McCarran. For about half her life, the North Atlantic right whale that washed up dead earlier this week on a Martha's Vineyard beach lived with fishing rope wrapped around her tail in flukes, 
making her existence increasingly difficult and painful as she grew. A team of more than 20 scientists on Thursday conducted a necropsy on the three-year-old female whale, looking for clues about her cause of death, which is yet to be determined, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Fisheries Division. Researchers at the New England Aquarium's Anderson Cavett Center for Ocean Life were able to identify her as the 2021 calf of the right whale known as Squilla, the now approximately 17-year-old's only known calf. The dead whale is listed in the North Atlantic right whale catalog as number 5120 and was last seen alive in Cape Cod Bay in January of 2023. Found washed up on January 28th just south of Joseph Sylvia State Beach, a barrier beach along Nantucket Sound between Oak Bluffs and Edgartown, she was moved to Aquina for the investigation. The Wampanoag tribe of Gayhead offered a site on tribal lands on the southwestern side of the vineyard to allow better access for heavy equipment and a large team of investigators since the beach where the whale washed ashore was too narrow to safely do the probe. The examination was led by a team from the International Fund for Animal Welfare, headquartered in Yarmouthport. Assisting were biologists from the tribe, the Atlantic Marine Conservation Society, Whale Dolphin Conservation, the New England Aquarium, the Center for Coastal Studies, Marine Mammals of Maine, the Virginia Aquarium, and the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative. Tribal members conducted a private ceremony beforehand. The procedure involves assessing the animal from the outside in for signs of trauma and illness, taking measurements and photos, collecting tissue samples from skin, blubber, and internal organs to test for disease. The crew also examines the whale's eardrums for any acoustic trauma. The necropsy further documented the wounds and additional factors that may have contributed to the animal's death, according to NOAA Fisheries. The agency said preliminary findings may be ready soon, but other tests can take weeks to complete. The agency will provide updates on its North Atlantic right whale updates page. A worrisome entanglement. The whale lived with rope around her tail since 2022. Scientists have worried about the rope's effects on the whale's health for many months. In May of 2022, she had been seen in the Great South Channel an undersea canyon between Nantucket and George's Bank without the rope. In August of that year, NOAA reported that Fisheries and Oceans Canada spotted the whale, whose tail was entangled, about 48 miles off New Brunswick. As the yearling grows, the entanglement is likely to cause increasing harm and eventual death as it constricts the tail and other areas of the whale's body, the agency reported at the time. In January of 2023, a team from the Center for Coastal Studies in Provincetown made two attempts to help her, but both were unsuccessful because of bad weather. Disentanglement efforts can be dangerous. In 2017, a volunteer disentanglement team member was killed while helping a whale in Canadian waters. According to NOAA, when she was found on January 28th, rope remained wrapped around and embedded in the whale's tail. Some of the rope was turned over to NOAA's law enforcement office, and the agency said that rope will now be examined by gear experts. The subheading reads, Such pain and suffering what this whale's death means to a critically endangered species. Michael Moore, a senior biologist at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution and author of We Are All Whalers, The Plight of Whales and Our Responsibility, helped with the initial management of the whale's remains on the beach on Monday and Tuesday. 
My past study of such cases have left me in awe of how these animals can live for months and sometimes years with such pain and suffering, he said. The whale's death needs to be understood in the context of its effect on the entire species, he said. Scientists estimate only about 356 of the critically endangered North Atlantic right whales are alive today, and relatively few of them are females who can give birth, according to the latest population study that was released last fall. The loss of this juvenile female is not only sad, but also represents the loss of tremendous potential for this species. We know of one female right whale in this population who has at least 30 descendants, calves, grandcalves, and great-grandcalves, said Philip Hamilton, a senior scientist at the New England Aquarium's Anderson Cabot Centers, in a statement that the aquarium issued on Friday. The leading causes of death for right whales are entanglements in traditional fishing gear and injuries caused by vessel strikes. Our failure to adequately communicate the enormity of this animal welfare travesty continues to be deeply worrying, Moore said. If such events were to be routinely occurring in and around our homes, we would do whatever it takes to adopt available sustainable seafood harvesting techniques, such as on-demand fishing systems to avoid such entanglements. Amy Knowlton, also a New England Aquarium senior scientist, said this whale's case highlights the ongoing threat that right whales and other whale species have been facing from fishing gear entanglements for decades. In mid-January, the NOAA reported a newborn calf that suffered severe injuries from an apparent boat strike, boat strike off South Carolina. If the calf's unable to nurse, it won't survive. As of January 11th, it was reported to be alive, but scientists observed a large number of whale lice on the calf's wounds that can be a signal of declining health. And the whale that washed ashore on Martha's Vineyard was expected to be buried on tribal land. Our next local story comes from the Cape and Islands section. Passing the Torch, Jack's Outback 2 has a new owner by Denise Coffey. Donna Barada's stewardship of Jack's Outback 2 in Yarmouth Port has come to an end. She sold the storied breakfast and lunch restaurant for $1,075,000 on Thursday to Louise Cali and his family, according to commercial realty advisor's agent Aaron Webb. There was no break in the action, Webb said Friday about the turnkey sale. Luis opened this morning. Barada has owned the restaurant for 20 years. Before owning Jack's, she worked at and then owned the former Breaking Grounds Cafe in Osterville. She put Jack's on the market in the spring of 2023, then took a hiatus during the busy months of July and August. Efforts at marketing the restaurant were relaunched after Labor Day, said Webb, who facilitated the deal serving as an agent for both parties. For 30 years, Donna has been serving up delicious homemade breakfasts and lunch, Webb said. The restaurant set back from Route 6A. Its 54-seat capacity, vaulted ceiling, and French doors have made it a favorite of locals and visitors since 2004. Barada bought, brought Jack, a golden retriever, on board soon after, and the dog became as famous as her breakfast pie and smoked salmon bennies. The one-and-a-half-story building was built in 1974 and is assessed at $422,400, according to town records. The restaurant is 2,617 square feet with a 144-square-foot patio. A one-bedroom, one-bath owner's quarters is on the second floor. 
Callie is an owner and partner in Il Montebello, an Italian restaurant located on the grounds of Kingsway Country Club in Yarmouthport, Webb said. He thinks Callie could make this iteration of Jack's another family affair with his son and wife, daughter, and brother. I think it will remain an institution of charm on the north side of the Cape, Webb said. New chairman for Bourne Historical Commission is named. This is written by Paul Gately in Bourne. The best way to deal with a wrecking ball is to not let it swing, according to town preservationists. In 1979, planning advanced to raise the dilapidated and deteriorating Briggs McDermott House on Sandwich Road across from the Bourne Public Library. The late highway superintendent, Louis Pellegrini, advocated the teardown and helped coordinate the project. A group of preservation-minded residents, however, opposed raising. Pellegrini listed, listened, and in the end, he single-handedly halted the demolition apparatus. The dozer backtracked and dump trucks retreated. Today, the circa 1840 house near Trading Post Corners is preserved, refurbished, and listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The Briggs McDermott House is owned and operated by the nonprofit Bourne Society for Historic Preservation, one of at least three groups in Bourne deeply committed to preservation, alongside the nonprofit Bourne Historical Society and the Bourne Historical Commission, an appointed town board with regulatory powers. We try to do everything procedurally, Bourne Historical Commission member Neil Langeel said. The work of preservation partially frames Bourne's evolution as a suburb within Boston's metropolitan reach and with few residential tracks left to develop. The town attracts third-generation families with memories of summer planning to upgrade old homesteads. They have exterior change in mind and bring those to the Historical Commission. Historical Commission member Judith Rorden said, Quite often people move into neighborhoods and like to fit in while in other instances they have other ideas for their properties. I'll be serving as president of the society until the June annual meeting, Bourne Society for Historic Preservation President Louise Innes said in a January 15th email. An event is planned in the spring with preservation carpenter Craig Smith, she said, and that subject will be restoration versus renovation. Mavis Robinson is completing her first year as Bourne Historical Society president. She intends to retain the gravel during her group's May 11th annual meeting. Robinson's taken the reins to move the historic Keene House from Trading Post Corners to Aptuxet Museums. She sees a success story unfolding, and it's still within budget, she said. In 2023, she told the century-old society she was prepared to learn as I go on the mostly administrative job running the group, after former president Diane Flynn bowed out. But Robinson was quickly thrown into active planning for the long-proposed and ambitious move. The general time frame, Robinson said in a January 16th interview, is spring. We're doing everything step-by-step step with the town, she said. Our mover thinks the house can be moved intact, except perhaps for the chimney. Moving Keene House is the preservation story of the moment. The town's historical commission is also preservation-minded. Although the panel's work recently took sharper focus after Chair Carl Georgeson was unanimously criticized by the select board following his remarks that included an anti-Semitic term during an October commission meeting. After a unanimous vote by the select board in mid-December calling for his resignation, Georgeson formally resigned as a member of the commission. Commission member Neil Langeel will now hold the gavel. 
Carl Spillhouse, a retired lawyer and businessman and a commission alternate, was appointed January 23rd to fill Georgeson's seat. The commission's top role involves demolition delay hearings with year-long orders that can be placed against plans to remodel or restore old homes or demolish dilapidated structures. The focus is on significant exterior details, building orientation, and the importance of place and aesthetics. Members deliberate around a table, likely older than the town itself, in a canal-side building dating to 1896. Langille said there is no indications of more upcoming demo delay hearings compared to 2023. Things can get complicated, he said on January 23rd. People have plans. Sometimes they even come in with two sets of plans. Members recently approved demolition of the big house at the former Animal Rescue League of Boston's summer camp along Squeeteague Harbor. The decision went against sizable village opposition to overall site development off McGansett Road. An old home atop the bluff at Clark Road at Sagamore Beach with its commanding Cape Cod Bay view is also coming down. It has not been occupied year-round for three decades. It will be replaced, and neighbors support that decision. At head of the bay north of the canal, a striking roadside remnant from colonial stagecoach days was saved. The owner opted to keep the barnyard red old house structure with its imperfections intact next to his new home. Architecture aside, he said, it was symmetry. Some rulings pivot on what should be preserved, especially in neighborhoods of deep historic vintage. There are often historical and cultural implications, framing plans, as well as tricky and divergent opinions about what is salvageable, especially if family heirlooms, old farmhouses, former cottage colonies, or deteriorating 19th century structures are involved. Rorden acknowledges that the panel has its charge and authority and remains assured of its relevance. But sometimes we don't realize the influence or the impacts of that, she said. Member Deborah Burgess has a lament. Sometimes we would like to have a plaque put up at a place that was torn down just to mark the location of what used to be there, Burgess said. We requested a plaque at one location and the project proceeded, but there was no plaque afterward. Looking ahead, commission members are considering ways the uninhabitable and architecturally nondescript Monument Beach Fire Station, an old carriage house near Finney's Harbor, might be preserved once a new firehouse is built south of the canal. We're past the midway point of this half-hour reading of the Cape Cod Times. There's very little local news in today's edition. Uh, there is one death notice that is listed in the Cape Cod Times dated Monday, February 5th of 2024. It's of Peter B. Hawley, and the arrangements are with Doan, Beale, and Ames Funeral Home, and there is no other information uh, available regarding that death notice. There is some local news in the sports section. High School Roundup, Saturday's Cape Cod Scores and Highlights by Courtney Jacobs. The Bourne boys hockey team won the 42nd Canal Cup as they beat Sandwich 5-2 on Saturday. Dominic Benito scored twice while Josiah D'Souza had a goal and two assists and Ty Kelly had a goal and three assists for Bourne, which is 11-3-1. Ryan Burgess finished with a goal. James Kroll dished out two assists and Dana Leach, Caleb Keane, and Griffin Kelly each had one assist for the Canalmen. Chris Cardillo had a goal and an assist, while Jack Connolly also found the back of the net for Sandwich, which is 14-3. Connolly and Kelly both became members of the 100-point club. 
In other high school action in boys hockey, it was Nantucket 5, Martha's Vineyard 3. Nobody's figured out how to stop the Whalers that are 13-1 as they've won 13 in a row. The Vineyarders, 8-6-1, have lost back-to-back -back games for the second time this season. It was Nosset 10, DYCCT, CCA 0. The Warriors, 13-1-1, remain unbeaten in 2024 with their 10th straight win. Monomoy and Mashpee, 4, Upper Cape, 2. The Sharks, 3-9-2, have won back-to-back -back games for the first time this season. Falmouth 3, Barnstable 1 rounds out the hockey results. And Gavin Powderly had two power play goals, while Eddie Leary played well in net for the Clippers, who are 9 and 7. Barnstable fell to 8 and says 68 and 2, so I don't think that's right. I believe it's probably 8 and 2. I can't tell. In girls hockey, it was DYCCA JP2-3, East Bridgewater-1. It was Falmouth-6, Barnstable-5, Martha's Vineyard-8, Nantucket-2, and Archie Archbishop Williams-1 and Sandwich-1 for girls hockey. In girls basketball, it was Nantucket-39, Martha's Vineyard-32, in boys basketball, it was St. John Paul II, 64, Christo Ray, 24. After a 1-10 start to the season, the Lions, now 4-10, have won three straight. It's Martha's Vineyard, 60, and Nantucket, 47. The Vineyarders, who are 12-3, have won nine of their last ten games. Their only loss is to Nantucket, while the Whalers, that are 10-7, have dropped three of their last four games. Girls Swim and Dive South Shore Swim and Dive League Championships, the Sandwich Girls placed first with 287 points. And in the Boys Swim and Drive, South Shore Swim and Dive League Championship, the Blue Knights Boys team placed second with a score of 235. In wrestling, it was Sandwich 28, Nosset 9, Sandwich 48, Martha's Vineyard 24, Barnstable, 43, Sandwich, 28. Luke Steele, William Fitzgerald Klemp, Matt Bloom, and A.J. Davison each went 3-0 on the day for Sandwich. And that concludes the high school results over the weekend. There were quite a few of them. Congratulations to the winners, and better luck next time to those who did not win. Well, the Grammy Awards were last night. It's not local news, but we are completely out of local news, so we'll move to that. Swift wins award and reveals her album. Cyrus and Carol G. make history at Ceremony by Maria Sherman of the Associated Press in L.A. Taylor Swift used her 13th Grammy win on Sunday to announce her new album, Tortured Poets Department, which will arrive April 19th. The news arrived after U2 frontman, Bono announced the award for Best Pop Vocal Album, which went to Taylor Swift for Midnights. I know that the way that the Recording Academy voted is a direct reflection of the passion of the fans, she said in her speech. So I want to say thank you to the fans by telling you a secret that I've been keeping from you for the last two years, which is that my brand new album comes out April 19th. It's called The Tortured Poets Department. I'm going to go and post the cover right now backstage. Carol G., K-A-R-O-L-G, made Grammy history Sunday by becoming the first female performer to win Best Musica Urbana 
album. She took home the honor for her blockbuster Manana Ser Bonito record, which was presented to her by Christina Aguilera and Maluma. This is my first time at the Grammys, she told the audience in English, and this is my first time holding my own Grammy. Performances were many. Olivia Rodrigo brought her blood-sucking ballad Vampire, or in this case, bloodletting, as red liquid dripped from the walls behind her, and then the Grammys cut to Las Vegas to broadcast U2 tackling Atomic City. CZA, CZA also took the stage, that's S-Z-A is her name, performing a medley of her larger-than-life hits Snooze and Kill Bill, joined by dancers wielding katanas. Later, she'd take home the trophy for best R&B song for Snooze, which was handed to her by Lizzo. SZA ran to the stage and gave a charming out-of-breath speech, saying, because she was changing, and then I took a shot before starting to tear up and tear up and saying, hi, Taylor, I'm not an attractive crier. Have a good evening. Mariah Carey presented the night's first award for best solo performance to Miley Cyrus for Flowers. It was also the singer's first ever Grammy. Cyrus said she almost missed that start of the show because of driving rain that's pounding Los Angeles and said she was glad she didn't miss her chance to be on stage with Carrie. Cyrus has been nominated eight times previously. Afterwards, Luke Combs delivered a heartfelt rendition of Fast Car with Tracy Chapman. His cover of the Chapman classic has dominated country radio and it won him Song of the Year at the 2023 CMAs. In 1989, Chapman won Best Pop Vocal Performance for a Female for that song. Dua Lipa opened the show with a high-octane medley, first a tease of her forthcoming single, Training Season, then her most recent single, Houdini, and finally her disco-pop Barbie hit, Dance the Night. Billie Eilish and Phineas brought their Barbie ballad to the Grammys stage with live string accompaniment, the second of two songs from the blockbuster film in one hour. They were followed by Cyrus, who performed Flowers for the first time live on television, moments after receiving her first ever Grammy. Why are you acting like you don't know this song, she teased the crowd. John Legend and wife Chrissy Teigen were among those in the audience who got up to dance and later cheered mid-song, I just won my first Grammy. From the stage at the Crypto.com Arena, four-time Grammy host and two-time nominee Trevor Noah greeted an excited crowd, starting things off with a kiss on the cheek from Meryl Streep. The Grammys are going to win an Oscar, he joked about the moment. Best Country Album went to Lainey Wilson for Bell Bottom Country, her very first Grammy as presented by Casey Musgraves. I'm a fifth-generation farmer's daughter, she told the crowd, adding that she's a songwriting farmer, and that's where the musical magic comes from. Other performers include Rodrigo, Billy Joel, Boy, Travis Scott, and a first-ever Grammy performance from Joni Mitchell. Bridgers took an early lead at the Grammys, quickly winning four trophies ahead of the main telecast with her and her boy genius bandmates bringing an infectious energy to the premiere ceremony. Songwriter Justin Tranter gave her the first award Sunday, Best Pop Duo Group, performance which went to SZA and Bridgers for Ghost in the Machine. She wasn't on stage for that, but skipped her way up with her band Boy Genius, made up of her, Lucy Dacus, and Julian Baker, clad in matching white suits when they won their first Grammy as a group for Best Rock Performance for Not Strong Enough. Oh my God, I want to throw up, said Dacus in their acceptance speech. This isn't real. Oh, thank you. Music saved my life, Baker jumped in. Anyone can be in a band. Minutes later, they walked back out on stage for Best Rock Song 
and Best Alternative Music Album. Newcomer Coco Jones won Best R&B Performance for ICU in a stack competition where she was up against SZA's Kill Bill and Victoria Monet's How Does It Make You Feel. SZA's one second win of the night came in the form of the Best Progressive R&B Album for S.O.S. Jack Antonoff took home Producer of the Year non-classical for a third year in a row, tying Babyface as the only other producer to do so consecutively. You need the door kicked open for you, he said in his acceptance speech. Taylor Swift kicked that blank door open for me, referencing their work together. The first of three new categories in 2024, Best Pop Dance Recording, was given out shortly afterward and went to Kylie Minogue for Patum Patum, her first win in 18 years. About 80 Grammys were handed out pre-broadcast. Regional Mexican star Peso Pluma won her first Grammy for his first and only nomination for Best Musica Mexicana album for his album Genesis. Early on in the afternoon, Barbie took home two Grammys in quick succession for compilation soundtrack for visual media and Best Song written for visual media. Billie Eilish and Phineas arrived early in the afternoon to collect song written for visual media trophy for their Barbie ballad, What Was I Made For? This is shocking to me, Eilish said. I was expecting to turn right back around and leave. Best African Music Performance, a new category aiming to highlight regional music traditions and recognizing recordings that utilize unique local expressions from across the continent of Africa, went to South African singer Tyla for her ubiquitous hit, Water. Killer Mike won three awards in quick succession Sunday night, but somehow ended up in police custody before the main Grammy ceremony began. And there was no immediate word why he was detained. And that concludes the reading of the Cape Cod Times for today, Monday, February 5th of 2024. This is your reader, Eric, saying be well, be safe, look after each other. Bye for now.